Continuing in our series in the Exodus, we come this morning to Exodus chapter 36, verses 8 through 38. And I realized I put the wrong complementary passage in your bulletin. The complementary passage that should be in your bulletin is actually Revelation, John's Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. So with your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 21, in honor of God's word, please stand. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Exodus chapter 36, beginning in verse 8, and continuing in the reading of God's word. But all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set. He made 50 loops on the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite one another, and he made 50 clasps of gold, and coupled the curtains one to the other with the clasps. So the tabernacle was a single whole. He also made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits and the breadth of each curtain 4 cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled 5 curtains by themselves and 6 curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the one set and 50 loops on the edge of the other connecting curtain. And he made 50 clasps of bronze to couple the tent together that it might be a single whole. And he made for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins. Then he made the upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits was the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. Each frame had two tenons for fitting together. He did this for all the frames of the tabernacle. The frames for the tabernacle he made thus. Twenty frames for the south side, and he made forty bases of silver under the twenty frames. Two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, he made twenty frames. And there are forty bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. For the rear of the tabernacle westward, he made six frames. He made two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they were separate beneath but joined at the top at the first ring. He made two of them this way for the two corners. There were eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases under every frame, two bases. 
He made bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the tabernacle at the rear westward. He made the middle bar to run from end to end halfway up the frames. And he overlaid the frames with gold and made their rings of gold for holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen with cherubim skillfully worked into it, he made it. And for it he made four pillars of acacia and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold and he cast for them four bases of silver. He also made a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework and its five pillars with their hooks. He overlaid their capitals and their fillets were of gold, but their five bases were of bronze. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the preaching and the hearing of your word. We pray that you would show forth through all of these details, shine forth and let us behold Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So one of the things that I appreciate about looking at the scripture as a piece of literature, it is inspired literature, clearly. This is the word of God. This is written for our instruction. Every word breathed out. But it is also literature. He gives it to us not in a series of propositions, but he gives it to us in a series of stories. Literature, there's history, there's poetry. There's, there's prophecy, all these various types of literature. And one of the nice things about looking, this is, looking at this as a piece of literature is I don't feel guilty for asking the obvious question, why is this here? What is the point? Why did we just read that? What is God's point in having this? Because for two Thing, two reasons that this is unusual. One is, obviously, the detail, the detailed instruction. The other is, this is an almost word-for-word repetition of what he's already said in chapter 26. Just ten chapters ago, we read through almost word-for-word the exact same list. Why? Now, I think there's only two answers. There's only, or only two possibilities. The first possible answer is that you hold in your hands the schematics for your DIY tabernacle. If you ever want to build a DIY tabernacle, here you go. That tells you exactly how wide, how tall, how to hang the curtains together... Exactly how the original tabernacle looked, whoopee, we've got the blueprints now. You can do it too. You and me build a tabernacle. Now, I hope that it goes without saying that that's not why this is in the Bible. Moses does not give these instructions. God does not give these instructions through Moses so that you and I can go build our own tabernacle. The tabernacle at the time that this passage is written, has been in existence for a generation. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are all the first five books of the Bible, and they're written at the end of Moses' life as he's preparing for the children of Israel to go into the promised land. They're camped on the plains of Moab. They're looking at the Jordan River in Jericho. And Moses gives them the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now, part of their reality for the past generation has been this thing called the tabernacle. It's been in the middle of them. They've been worshiping. They've been camping around it. They've been following it through the wilderness for their entire lives. So we know that the reason this is in your Bible is not so that you can have your own DIY tabernacle. Then why is it here? What is the point of this passage? I think we can get to what God is showing us here in this passage by, as with any other piece of literature, how do you look at any other piece of literature? You look for themes. You look for phrases that are repeated. If somebody repeats a phrase over and over again throughout the literature, then you know that this phrase is an important part. And there are two things that I want you to notice from this passage. Phrases that are very clearly repeated over and over and over throughout the passage. The first of the things I want you to notice is the order, the structure, the order that is emphasized in the building of the tabernacle. And the second thing that I want you to notice from this passage is the lavishness. The absolute lavish nature of the tabernacle. The tabernacle speaks of order. And it speaks of lavish riches. And then, as we look at these two things, I think we can come to a better appreciation for this particular passage. Now the order you've seen repeated already, you heard in the reading, but I just want to draw your attention to a couple of the verses. Verse 13, he made 50 clasps of gold, coupled the curtains one to the other with the clasp. So the tabernacle was a single whole. This, this phrase is repeated a couple of more times. Also in verse 9, all the curtains were the same size. And then down in verse 15, the 11 curtains were the same size. If you notice the acacia poles, the, the, uh, the, the pillars, uh, which, by the way, just this is my, everybody here knows I'm not a math guy. I'm an English guy. Math is not my thing. So for me, a cubit is a yard. Uh, it's, it's a rough approximation. I'll let other people do it more closely, but a cubit is a yard. So 48 of these pillars that are 30 feet high and 5 feet wide. This is a portable structure. <laughs> 30 foot tall acacia pillars, each with their tenons and their capitals and all the, all the weird uh, construction stuff that I don't know and you don't want me doing a DIY tabernacle, 
because it'll collapse. But this thing is sturdy. This thing is uniform. This thing is of the same size. And the entire thing fits together to be a single whole. That's a phrase that's repeated throughout this passage. Our shorter catechism, the question 102, what do we pray for in the second petition? The second petition, which is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God, that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed. Ourselves and others brought into God's kingdom and kept in it. And that the kingdom of glory be hastened. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying God, we look around us in this kingdom, this peace, this righteousness, this holiness, this justice is not around me. Lord, bring it. Bring it. Bring that kingdom of peace. Bring that place of healing. Bring that place of holding into the whole earth. Bring me into that kingdom. Keep me in that kingdom. Destroy this toxic, nasty, ugly thing that is outside and inside. This evil of Satan that I see not just outside, but I see in my own heart. Destroy that. And the tabernacle is a visual demonstration of God's kingdom. The tabernacle, if you've been with us a while, you know, this is the Garden of Eden. It's a recreation of the Garden of Eden. In the Holy of Holies is the place of perfect communion with God. And it works outward. All of these symbols of, of, of God's presence and of our life with Him, this place of peace and confidence and joy and wholeness, it works outward to the gate. And no longer is there an angel with a flaming sword barring the entrance, but now there's an altar. And through the blood of the sacrifice, we are able to come back into the Garden of Eden. We're able to come back into this place. But your reality and my reality, what you know in your DNA and what I know in my DNA is that your life and my life often does not feel harmonious. It does not feel at peace with God. I can't be at peace with my wife. I can't be at peace with my children. I can't be at peace with my coworkers, with my neighbors, with the creation around me. There is so much that is wrong. There's so much that's broken. There's so much that is not healthy and whole. And the tabernacle is a visual reminder that in your journey, in your pilgrim journey, in the chaos and the disorder, the disorder of the heart, the disordered affections, the disordered things that happen to you and to me. The tabernacle reminds us of stability wholeness, that there is a place where all is right, and that that place where all is right 
is what you and I are dwelling in the midst of. It's what you and I are living in the very midst of. We have come into the tabernacle, the curtain torn, the veil ripped. We have come into the Holy of Holies. The language that Paul will later use, you and I are the temple. The body of Christ is this place of wholeness, healing, unity, stability. Of course, the church struggles with that, but that not that all the message of Paul's epistles? <laughs> pursue unity. Pursue love. Pursue wholeness. Pursue this picture that's given to us in 36. Of a place of God's dwelling, a place of God's presence that is ordered, uniform, whole. Beloved, as you know that, as you see that, as you strive to live that out, then in the middle of all of the thorns and all of the heat of the day and the fiery serpents in the wilderness, the betrayals, the injustices, the illnesses, the catastrophes, the crises, all of your failures, all of your dashed hopes, all of everything that makes you go, no, I'm not in the Garden of Eden. In the midst of all of that, the tabernacle tells you, tells me, God's got this. God has got this. He is doing His work. He is a God of order. He's a God who is in control. He's a God who is trustworthy. He is a God who will keep you and His kingdom is a kingdom that stands forever. The structure of the tabernacle, the order of it, tells us something about who God is and how we are at peace with Him. But the second thing I hope you picked up in this passage is the lavishness of the tabernacle. This is not just any old enclosure. This isn't the Old Testament equivalent of one of those churches that meets in a warehouse, or for that matter, a convention center. (laughs) This is very carefully thought through. Fine linen, embroidery, did you see? hear all that language? Blue and scarlet and purple yarns, very expensive, sumptuous. Did you hear all that stuff? Just the loops, 50 loops on one curtain, 50 loops on the other curtain, and the loops connected with clasps made out of gold. The pillars, the the frames of this tabernacle, each one set in two bases of silver. This is lavish. This place is stunning. This place is rich. And it emphasizes, really, when you, when, you, when you get the picture of the whole thing in your head, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and, 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 and silver and gold, what does it sound like to you? It sounds like a king's palace. 
This is a king's palace. More obviously, this is the king's palace. (laughs) But this is very clearly dressed up. This is very clearly given to us as a royal setting. A, a, A lavish royal structure. The place where you and I meet with God. The place where you and I have peace with God. The place where you and I have fellowship with God and out of which you and I live is the palace of the king. And there's all kinds of implications from that. If you're coming to the palace of the king, you come in humility and you come to receive his instruction. That's an obvious application of all these things. I'm not going to go into all the possible applications of this. But just recognizing that. (laughs) Recognizing that the tabernacle is the dwelling place of the king of kings. It's where... You and I can engage the difficulty of life, the difficulty of our wilderness journey, the challenges that stand before you ethically, morally, the the choices that you are called to make, the choices that you make in how you treat one another, the choices that you and I make in the privacy of our own bedroom when nobody, we don't think anybody else is watching. All of these things are lived out in light of we're in the kingdom of God. We're praying your kingdom come. We're praying you and me brought into that kingdom. We're praying that you and I be kept in that kingdom. The last thing I want to point to your attention is this is entirely useless. God didn't need it. God made the heavens and the earth. He dwells in the heaven. The earth is His footstool. He does not need a tabernacle. He does not. That's what He says to David, isn't it? Are you going to build me a house? (laughs) You think I'm homeless? (laughs) Behold, the earth is my throne. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. This thing isn't for God. Beloved, God gives these outward forms. He gives these outward signs. He gives these outward things for you. For me. To help you because our memory is so short. Our faith is so weak. You remember Moses and Joshua disappeared for a month and the people went off to idolatry. Worshipped the golden calf. Made the golden calf and worshipped it. The memory is so short. These are the same people that just walked through the Red Sea on dry land. And when they don't have some clear 
signal from God for a month. They go, ah, all, all washed up, let's pick something else. Beloved, you and I are so short-sighted. Our memories are so short that you and I regularly forget these basic truths that we confess. These basic truths that we hear. That God is in control. That He works all things for good to those who love Him and to those who are the called according to His purpose. And that working all things together for good has led to martyrdom. But it was good. That working all things together for good leads to painful, painful cancer and death. But it's good. It leads to... to All kinds of things that you and I would not choose for ourselves, for our friends, for our family. But that we always must testify is good. One of the things I tell people, as a pastor, I'm often helping people walk through very, very difficult seasons in their life. Very difficult challenges. And one of the things that I will tell them every time is the eyes of faith, the eyes of faith, you may not know how right now, you may not think it's possible right now, but the eyes of faith say that one day there will come a moment, there will come a place in which you will look back on this providence, this cancer, this betrayal, this challenge, this job loss, this career implosion, this whatever it is, marriage breakup, you will look back on this thing. And you will say, thank you, Jesus. This was right. I wouldn't have chosen it but I now see this was right. This was good. And that's what the tabernacle says. Do you see it? The tabernacle says that God is here in our midst. John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 14 He's describing Jesus in the incarnation. He says, the Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. John's revelation, the end vision, God's tabernacle is with man. This tabernacle back in the Old Testament is just the first tiny little seed The first obscure picture with all of its curtains and its loops and its everything, the acacia wood and the pole and all those details. It's this first fuzzy picture of a promise that expands throughout 
the scriptures and finally culminates in that ultimate vision. God dwelling with you. A new heaven and a new earth. And in the tabernacle, you get these two core principles. These two core definitions. Order, purpose, stability, and presence in our midst. And the order, stability, purpose, and presence of the King of Kings. The one whom the kings of earth are called to kiss. The one who promises your journey and mine will be good. Easy? No. (laughs) They never promise that. Talk to the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. It ain't easy. It's good. It's good. Because we have a father who works all things. For that, good. Let's pray. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this promise, this picture, this tabernacle. You dwell amongst us. You are in our midst. Help us, Father, to live from here. To engage our lives and the world around us. From this place of healing, peace, and hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.